You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. We continue on in our series through 1 Timothy, and as we're seeing in 1 Timothy, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the church, and that really the church is not just this very ambiguous thing that we don't really have an idea about, but that God has really done a terrific job. God, We see here in 1 Timothy that God in his character is a God of order. He sets up things. God is not desire anything, especially his church, to be a chaotic thing. And so God has laid out blueprints. God has given us a design for the church. So here in 1 Timothy, Paul wrote this book to Timothy. He had met, Paul and Timothy had met in Lystra, and Timothy grew up in the faith, and Paul was a mentor, a spiritual father to Timothy, and as Timothy matured in the faith, Paul began sending Timothy out to different churches that Paul had helped start to help them through different issues. Well, an issue, the church in Ephesus had risen up. There had been false teachers that had infiltrated the church. False doctrine about Christ was being spread in the church of Ephesus. And so Paul sends Timothy there to deal with that. And so, so far in 1 Timothy, we've seen what the church is. We need, if we're going to talk about the church, if we're going to understand God's design for the church, we need to know what we're talking about. And so we've seen that the church is the community of true believers, that the church is global, that all around the world, if you think about it, this is what amazes me about Sundays. In the last 24 hours, all around the world, Brothers and sisters in Christ have been gathering in all kinds of places to make much of Jesus. And so as a local church this morning, right now, we're part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. We're part of the global church, but there's also the local church. We've seen the church is not a building. There's nothing special about this place. Even this room we sit in, there's nothing special about it. It's not a place. The church is not a place. We don't go to church. We are the church. We can't go to something we are. The church is not a nonprofit organization. It's people. And we've seen that in all things, that the church must be centered on the gospel. Everything the church does, does everything we as the people, God's covenant people, the church, all that we are to be about is the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And because the gospel is so important, we must know the gospel. We must protect it. We talked about that earlier in 1 Timothy, the need to protect the gospel, that the church is a buttress, a pillar of truth. And then ultimately, we as a church must declare the gospel to the world. And anything that becomes more important in the church than the gospel is simply no more than an idol. And we see, unfortunately, in our culture today how many churches have sacrificed the gospel for convenience or preference or opinion, and they're guilty of idolatry. We've seen then how what the church is, and then really the church is a pretty simple thing. We see what the church is, and then how the church is to be led. We saw that the church is, in 1 Timothy 3, that the church is to be led by a plurality of elders, pastors, and we saw the qualifications of elders. 
We've seen how the church is to be served by deacons, and we saw the qualifications of deacons. Then last week, we saw how the church is to be organized, and it's organized by covenant church membership, and we were able to celebrate that earlier this morning with the Griesbach family. And today, we're going to continue in that theme, the church led by elders, organized by membership, and how all that works together. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn it to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 25. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, you can see that we have Bibles there in the pew in front of you. If you would like to take that with you, you are more than welcome to do that. The purpose of those Bibles are meant to be sent out, and so that is our, our gift to you. So let's start reading in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5. It says this, The elders who are good leaders are to be consider, consider, considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages." Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. So what we see here in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 25, we see that Paul is instructing Timothy to teach the church in Ephesus to honor the elders of their church, to financially take care of the elders. He talks that the the worker is worthy of his wages, verse 18, to hold accountable the elders of the church. Remember, we saw back in 1 Timothy 3, we saw the qualifications of elders. And let me just for review's sake, go back to the qualifications of elders, overseers, pastors. It's all synonymous. Remember, it's all the same word. It says they are to be above reproach, one woman men. They are to be sensible and reasonable, hospitable, skilled in teaching and communicating scripture. They're not to be addicted to alcohol or any other substance. Gentle, wise with money, and lead well-ordered homes. And so we have the qualifications of elders, but then Paul here is instructing the church to hold the, the elders of the church accountable, that they need to be living up to these qualifications. But also in this passage, we see a relationship between the elders of the church, and we've established that it is biblical to have elders, overseers, pastors leading the church. And then last week, we saw the evidence of biblical church membership. And so here in verses 17 through 25, we see a relationship between the members of the church and the elders, We see here, if an accusation is brought up against an elder, how to deal with that. We see verse 20 about church discipline, to publicly rebuke those who sin. He gives instruction not to be, verse 22, not to 
be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. So there needs to be maturing process of an elder. So if someone's going to be an elder, they have to be known, their reputation. Uh, Paul talks about that apparently uh, Timothy had a little bit of a stomach issue, so he tells him to drink a little, little bit of wine to take care of that. Paul talks about verse 24, some people's sins are obvious. Sins of others will surface later. Good works are obvious, and good works will surface later. There's a knowledge of the church in what's happening. And so as we talk about church membership last week and church membership a little bit this week, you cannot be a member of the church without being a believer in Jesus Christ, the global church. If you don't know Jesus, you can't be a member of the church. But also, you can't be a member of the local church if you're not there. It wouldn't make sense. Because the purpose of the church is transparency, accountability, living life together. And so there has to be a knowledge of one another. So how can you not have a relationship with anyone in the church without being there? Somewhere in the last 50 to 75 years in the church history happening here in the United States, this idea of associate church membership popped up. Let me just say there is no biblical evidence for that at all. We only see covenant church membership in Scripture. And so you can't be a member of the church, of the local church, without being there. So I had a really good conversation this past week with a couple of our community groups. Our community groups go through sermon discussion in their uh, community group time, and we were talking about what are the qualifications of church membership. Well, one, being a member of the global church. You can't be a member of the local church if you're not a member of the global church and a part of the community of true believers in Jesus Christ. Understanding the gospel, understanding your sinfulness and God's holiness and your need for Jesus Christ in your life. Again, not to call out the grease box again, but had the privilege this morning to hear about how that took place in their life. They're the members of the global church, now they're members of a local church. We also believe that church membership is baptism by immersion. That, that baptism by immersion is a biblical concept that when a person is put under the water, not held under the water, but put under the water and brought back up, that's a picture of the resurrection of Christ. That's identifying with Christ. And so that's saying the resurrection that Christ had physically, I resurrected spiritually because of the work of Jesus and the gospel in my life. And so that is a declaration of what happened. The person goes under the water. They obviously come back up to signify this has happened in my life. But also to be a member of the local church, you have to be there. You have to participate in worship in relationship building, in service, and in ministry. We see more evidence of this. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. We had this read this morning during our scripture reading, but look at Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is. I have my ideas. You may have mine, or you may have yours. I have mine. You have your ideas about who wrote Hebrews. I have my ideas. 
But the writer of Hebrews writes, verse 7, Remember your leaders who spoke in God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. So we see the leaders of the church are responsible for speaking God's word to the church, but also living an example of faith for the people. Then you go down, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a comforting thought. That Jesus and his character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That though culture changes, the church may even change, not in its doctrine, but in the way it communicates doctrine. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what happens in your life and mine, Jesus is a source of stability. Let me encourage all of us to make Jesus the source of our stability. Not our family, not our relationships, not our finances, but Jesus as the source of stability and faithfulness in our life. No matter what happens Tuesday night, let's remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I really firmly believe no matter what happens Tuesday night, we'll all still be okay. Verse 9. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be established by grace, not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. For we do not for we do not have an enduring city there. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer, offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of the lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders. Submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account so they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. So again, talking about elders and church memberships and pastors and overseers, if there's no membership, no organization of the body, then who exactly would be the leaders? Who would be the elders? Who would be the pastors? Because we see that the pastors have responsibility for the souls that they serve. And as a pastor, you want to talk about an intimidating thing as a reality in my own life. Makes you almost want to run from it sometimes. But what responsibility do they have to the people or the people to them if there's no membership? Would the pastors, overseers, elders be held accountable for the entire global church? 
well, that wouldn't be right or fair, so they have to be responsible for the local church. It says verse 9, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. That doctrine is important. Truth is important, as we saw a few weeks ago. Then it says, verse 17, obey your leaders, submit to them. Without membership, who are we supposed to be held accountable to? Verse 17, they watch over our souls as those who give an account. And so what we see is a beautiful relationship between the pastors, elders, overseers, and the relationship of the members of the church. So we have biblical church plurality of elders and biblical church membership. And we see relationship there. And here's the beautiful, most beautiful thing about the church. And I know I shared a little bit last week some of the frustrations I've had in the past about the church. And if we're all honest, I'm sure we've all shared in frustrations with the church. That, that's per, that would be normal. But here's the beauty of the church. Even with all of her warts and dysfunctions, the church is a mirror, ought to be a mirror. It's a reflection. It's a picture. It's a picture of what? The relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ. I mentioned this last week, but in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And how, does anyone remember how he describes the church? as the bride of Christ. If you remember back on your wedding day, I remember mine, I shared this last week, that moment, men, when you're standing before that congregation, you see your bride come down the aisle, that feeling of pride and joy that Jesus views us as his church, as his pride and joy. That feeling that a bride brings a groom, that, pride, that, that, that feeling of pride, joy, and love, that Jesus feels that even more magnified and even greater for you and I as his church. And so then we as the church here on earth, we're supposed to reflect that. We're supposed to reflect the gospel that when people see what the church is, how the church is to be led, how the church is to be served, how the church is to be organized, and the mission given to the church to take the gospel to all nations. As we see that, we see the really the beautiful relationship that you and I have between ourselves and Jesus on a personal level. So if you're here this morning and you're skeptical of the church, I understand but the Christian life is all about relationship. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about relationship. It's a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship with one another and the encouragement that we receive from each other. And you may be here this morning and you're, you may not even have that covenant relationship with Christ. And let me encourage you and let you know that there is a God that loves you deeply and went to great lengths to have a relationship with you. Jesus Christ 
came to this planet as the God-man, God in the flesh, and died on the cross, taking his own wrath of sin upon himself, the own pun- his own punishment of sin upon himself, so we don't have to bear it. Then he rose again to provide brand new spiritual life and to provide spiritual regeneration and resurrection. And now he sits, sits at the right hand of the Father, declaring us innocent, declaring us righteous. And so as we talk about church membership and church leadership, we're really ultimately talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So my question for you this morning, do you have that love relationship with Christ? Because you can't have a relationship with the church without a relationship without Christ. He is the head of the church, and we are his body. So believe him and follow him. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for what a picture that is to be a part of the church that as you look upon us as your covenant people, that you are filled with pride and joy and love, just like a groom standing at the end of an aisle would be. Help us to live in that reality. Help us to never doubt the love you have for us. And then, God, we thank you for your church. Thank you for brothers and sisters that we can have a relationship with, that we can be on mission with. Thank you for this local church. Cause us to always be seeking out to to align ourselves with you through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music